0: And I would also advise people, and this is especially for people who are earlier in career, is don't focus so much on the rungs of the ladder. Focus on the rungs of the learning, for lack of a better word. Like what can you learn and what can you gain from this experience? Not what's gonna get me to the next level so I can have this title or this pay. Because you might actually be missing out if that's your singular focus. So if you can focus on the rungs of the learning versus the rungs of the ladder, I'm fairly confident you will get those other, those other goals will come by way of that.
1: Welcome to the Driving Force podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa, a former private equity analyst, now exploring human performance through podcasting, coaching, jujitsu, and endurance athletics. This podcast will feature conversations with uniquely driven and authentic individuals across sports, business, and wellness who continue to achieve great things in their respective fields. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Christine McHugh. Christine first started working for Starbucks as a barista at 19 years old. Little did she know at that time that it would mark the beginning of her 27-year career at the company. Her first job for Starbucks as a barista was when the company had 37 stores. 25 years later, and she's leading some of the most important strategic initiatives for Starbucks across over 13,000 stores in the U.S. and Canada. So, it's fitting that her up-and-coming book is titled From Barista to the Boardroom, which is expected to be published next year. Christine left Starbucks in 2017, but certainly did not rest on her laurels. Looking for a completely new challenge, she took on the role of of Chief Strategy Officer at Tangelo Health, a startup sports chiropractic and rehabilitation company. After successfully expanding their market presence and driving unprecedented revenue growth in her two years there, she left to focus full-time on her own consulting firm. Her professional focus today is a consulting firm, where she specializes in working with small to medium-sized growing businesses in the services industry. Outside of work, Christine is an avid distance runner and is planning to race her fifth marathon next year in Chicago. I should also mention that she serves on the advisory board of, for Gritlink, which, if you remember, is a company founded by another one of my podcast guests, Courtney Jacobson. In this interview, we get into Christine's time growing up in Alaska, her long career at Starbucks and stint at Tangela Health, her current work as a consultant, and her passion for distance running. And so, without further ado, my interview with Christine McHugh. Awesome. Well,
0: thanks for having me today. And your list of questions was. Kinda of overwhelming. <laughs> like you're very thorough, but then I think I meant I might have mentioned I'm writing a book, and I actually just finished my latest latest round of rewrites into the printer yesterday, mm-hmm. and a lot of it, at least a, a lot of it is is this my book? So maybe I should just say wait for the book. No, I'm joking. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just joking.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's the end of the podcast.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Coming, coming to a bookstore near you next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So let's start this off at the beginning. Uh, where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Fairbanks, Alaska.
1: Oh, wow. Alaska. That's I did not middle- expect that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's in the middle of the state. Not a lot of people have heard of Fairbanks. Um, people tend to ask Anchorage, sometimes Juneau, because Juneau is the capital. But I was yep. born and raised in Fairbanks, and I ended up there because... My grandfather was in the army and when he retired, he was stationed up there and he stayed there and decided to raise his family.
1: Interesting. And how, how long um, did you live there for?
0: Um, All through high school. And then two days after I graduated from high school, I hopped on an airplane to come to Seattle because I knew I needed to live someplace bigger um, and more cosmopolitan and access to more things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. What was the like what was the lifestyle like in, in Fairbanks, Alaska?
0: We're all a hardy bunch. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this saying for Alaskans have this pioneering spirit because you do have to be pretty hardy to live in such extreme weather conditions, especially Fairbanks, because it's in the center of the state. It can be 80 degrees in the summer and um, 40, 50 below in the winter. So you've got this wow. extremes, plus you have extreme. Daylight from 24 hours of sun in the middle of the summer to, you know, close to what feels like 24 hours of darkness. So you definitely have to be a hearty independent bunch. And I think that hardiness and independence was definitely instilled in me growing up um, to kind of carve my own path and take care of myself and be resourceful. And so um, I grew up in how that it manifested itself in my family is a m- lot of my family, uh, not no longer, but a lot of my family was uh, politicians. So okay. they found to, like feel to the kind of still this value of like being independent and being able to make change. Um, one way to do that is to hold a political office, and so um, that was their destiny for me, but not mine for myself. Um, but that's a lot of like growing up. You asked about what it was like growing up. It was navigating through and being resourceful in these really extreme conditions and kind of fending for you know yourself, not to the extreme sense of survival because it wasn't like I was living in an igloo or anything. But um, but then also being surrounded um, by politicians and going to campaign rallies and being in parades and stuffing envelopes and hanging signs and things like that um, is, is how it came to be as a kind of forming a value of mine of being of service to others so a lot packed into that answer your question but i like those are kind of the dichotomies of like what it was like for me growing up there
1: right interesting and and so what what did your parents do for work you said you mentioned your dad was or served in the army um Uh, Yeah, my grandfather
0: was actually in the army um, and my parents separated when I was really young. So I actually lived with my dad and my dad was in um, right of way and um, kind of more back office surveying type work, trying to figure out land usage rights. Um, But my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and everybody else around me was in the political space. And I would say that they raised me because I was really raised in this community um, with this big extended family where we spent a lot of time together. Um, so I feel like I was kind of more exposed and indoctrinated into where the, uh, my extended family spent their time and energy less so than being influenced by, um, my dad's line of work. Although I knew very early on, I wanted to have an office job. Like I was a kid who would play office. Like some kids would play school and some kids would play, You know, hairdresser and some kids would play theater. I played office. (laughs) So
1: I I always envisioned
0: myself of being in an office type environment because I liked the 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 business piece of it, even at a really young age. (laughs) So Huh.
1: Was but it sounds like maybe business wasn't really much like of a table talk kind of topic though.
0: No, no. Mm. And I I personally felt like I had Some challenges, um, because I really wasn't interested in politics, but all of the family, you know, conversations around the big extended family dinners um, and holidays were all around what was happening in the political landscape, what was happening in our broader community. And at the time, I was not interested in it at all. And so I kind of felt like I was on my own, like I didn't know how and when to engage Um, And part of the reason I wanted to move to Seattle is because I wanted to be exposed to more options, I guess, in terms of um, career and culture and things like that. But yeah, we didn't talk about business at all.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And I know you're a big runner now, but um, did you like run cross, like track and cross country in high school or no?
0: No, I'm a late bloomer athlete. I ran my first five K maybe when I was in my early forties. So not even 10 years ago. And, um, I didn't do much in the way of active. I didn't have an active family. I wouldn't say that they were a sedentary family, but active not in the defined in the way of athletics. I tried a couple times like soccer, but I hated getting kicked in the shins. It was painful. Um, right. I sucked at other team sports, like volleyball. I tried gymnastics. I liked that for a while, but I was a little bit heavier than a lot of the other gymnasts. I couldn't always get right (laughs) over the, over the bars, (laughs) but, um, but I just never really found my, my groove in that and really like when I moved to Seattle, like stayed active, but I wouldn't say really um, found an athletic pursuit, so to speak and running until not even 10 years ago, maybe, maybe eight, maybe so. Okay. I was never around that growing up.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And so talk to me about the, talk to me more about the, the move they made to, uh, to Seattle um, after high mm-hmm. school. Like what, what was driving that and how they Well, came the
0: main drive was getting out of Alaska. I mean, honestly, it was. And it's not that Alaska was so terrible, but I've always felt growing up that I was, for lack of a better word, confined, even though you're in the largest state. In the United States. Um, And I think I always knew that I wanted more from life, and more I mean, more exposure to diversity activities, arts, culture, businesses, demographics, housing. I just knew I wanted that. So my mom actually lived in Seattle. My parents separated, she moved here, and I'd been to visit her a couple of times, and it just seemed like the natural place for me to go before I. really decided what I wanted to do. So it's kind of funny that I'm still here because that's been a long, it's been like, what, over 30 years now. But um, so I came here thinking I would go to college, um, make a life for myself, but not necessarily still be here. And I ended up um, moving here. My mom owned some espresso carts and coffee chains and I started working for her and kind of was getting into the Seattle scene while I was going to college. And that ultimately led to a job at Starbucks where I spent you know, the bulk of my career. But yeah, so it was okay. to come down to go to school to kind of take a step forward in my life and see where it might take me. Um, but really no other specific agenda than that or aspiration really.
1: Okay. And so where did you go to college?
0: Well, I started at a local community college here called Shoreline Community College, and I started going there, and then I went to start working for Starbucks as a barista near my school,
1: and
0: after working at Starbucks for about six months, I realized that I liked Starbucks and was getting more stimulation and growth and learning working there than I was doing accounting courses. Um, and biology classes. So I quit school and I actually went back to finish my degree when I was 40. So Uh yeah, so I ended up growing my career at Starbucks and putting college on the back burner. And when I felt like I had other things set in my life, I decided I wanted to go back to school. So, and I finished my degree at Antioch University. It's a liberal arts college um, took me probably two years to finish it once I went back and ended up having, um, I majored liberal arts major, but in leadership and organizational studies was my focus area.
1: Interesting. Did you get a lot of like pushback from friends or family when you decided to leave community college at the time?
0: No, not really. I mean, it was always a question like, is this the, is this? I'm supposed to go to school, you know, I'm supposed to, you know, follow this path. And it was more like implicit pressure, not just from, you know, family or friends, nobody said anything, but, um, something that I thought I was supposed to do, even though it didn't feel right to me. So if people did push back, nobody said anything. And I was getting so much fulfillment and reward from working at Starbucks that I honestly didn't care about. If I did get pushed back, it never became an obstacle for me in my career. Um, And definitely as later in my career was not, nobody even, it was just a non-issue because I'd proven myself through this experience. But I always had a sense of lack of closure from not completing it, which is why I ultimately went back. But I think if anybody did push push back on me, I probably would have just pushed right back.
1: (laughs) But
0: no, I don't remember that ever coming up with anybody
1: saying I needed to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And how old were you when you first started working at Starbucks as a barista?
0: I was 19. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And there were... um, I was in the 37th store in the entire company. It opened. And when when it opened, I was on the opening crew. Um, And I think there were only stores in... Washington, maybe Oregon, Vancouver, BC. We had not gone to California, Chicago, and certainly weren't international other than Canada. So yeah, 37 stores. And when I left there a few years ago, gosh, I think the store count was close to 20,000. So um, yeah. Yeah. So I saw a lot of growth growth in my time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Wow. And like what... What was it about Starbucks that inspired you to want to work there?
0: You know, even before I started working there, it was a super small company, right? It's a local based company, but a decent size for, you know, a chain, I guess, in a, in a given geography. You know, when I started when I started thinking about there's 35 stores. But you think about a chain of 35 stores is pretty, you know, it's not t- it's tiny. Mm-hmm. But um I was working at my mom's espresso cart and our sales rep actually sold Starbucks coffee to us. So we used coffee at the cart and she would talk to me about the culture of the company. And there was also word on the street that the company had really good benefits. Um, even at that stage, um, really cutting edge healthcare, there was 401k um, for part-timers and for baristas. Now think about that, that was 1989. Like that was a long time ago. That- right. Yeah. A lot of companies weren't that progressive. And so hearing things about the culture, seeing the company was on fast growth, even though it wasn't a public company at that point in time, I was there when Starbucks went public, but also knowing that it had these great benefits and I had experience in the coffee industry, it just seemed like the perfect match while I was going to school. Flexible schedule, plus all these other things that I knew should be important to me, although I didn't really know that they were needed to be that important because I didn't know what 401k was. But, um, so I applied for the job thinking, you know, it's going to be another t- job it has got some of the things that I need, like benefits, um, that my mom wasn't able to offer me working for her. And so that's what attracted me back then. And I would say that companies still pretty stand out when it comes to offering, you know, part-time employees, pretty awesome benefits. I mean, college degrees. Now you can get for free there. Um, oh, wow all kinds of yeah through arizona state university um through starbucks and you like all kinds of really fantastic benefits so there always has been a strong value on taking care of partners which is what starbucks calls employees so
1: okay interesting and what what was your first job at starbucks um it, you know like the first like office job at starbucks office not the job. barista yeah
0: Yeah. So I had been worked in the stores for a couple of years and I'd heard that there was this department called human resources, but I didn't know what that was. And that they were looking for a kind of department administrative support person. Um, So I went in and interviewed with the head of HR um, and they ended up hiring me to be, it was really not as much of her admin assistant as it was like doing projects within hr so i did a little bit of benefits i did a little bit of recruiting i did a little bit of training and development i did a little bit of everything really in the hub of the organization because it was growing so fast right um so that was my first job out of the
1: stores interesting that's a, that's a pretty good pretty good first job um <laughs> i probably glad that it wasn't as much of an admin job but more project-based that's yeah probably really probably really interesting
0: yeah. I, got, and I get a chance to like, which discipline of HR do I, am I drawn to? If any, you know, was kind of ha- helped me see. And I got to work with really unique leaders,
1: mm-hmm. like the
0: comp and benefits manager, very distinct style, then the employment manager, then the training manager. And it gave me a chance to kind of get that breadth. Um, and ultimately I ended up going deep in um, training and development. Um, I did that two rounds of that when I was at Starbucks, but that ended up being the place where I got the most energy and enjoyed. So
1: Okay. And did you plan on working at Starbucks like for the long term when you joined the joined the company? Like did you ever imagine at that time that it would be like 25 plus years that you'd be there?
0: Never. It was a part-time job while I was going to school. And even as I moved into different roles in the organization and got promoted and tried different things, I never had a vision that I would. Um, retire there. And I didn't retire there, although I do get a pretty cool retirement benefit. Even though I didn't retire, I can tell you about that if you want. But yeah. um, And I just was caught up in the growth of like changing, growing, being challenged, learning, um, trying new things. Uh, And it just I think the time flew by, but it was never with the end goal of like, I'm going to be here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years until I die. It was how can i continue to grow and contribute and what can i learn from this experience that really kept me there and when you're mm-hmm. growing that fast as a company if you can look around and see that and see those opportunities and be open to that you can have a pretty long runway um, but it requires a lot of adaptability agility well learning mindset yeah. to do that so yeah long-winded answer to your question but no never thought i would be there as long as i was i was <laughs> like get me through college Right. <laughs> Instead, I dropped out of college and made a career there.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. If someone was to, you know, do that nowadays, let's say it's like someone, some recent grad, and they join a company, like, and they would just stay there for like 25 plus years, that's, that would be very surprising given kind of what's happening nowadays with like kind of this like millennial job hopping trend. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. Very unusual. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, it's probably nothing to judge either way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think companies in general are looking for people that have a love, well, depending on your profession, your career level of breadth or level of depth or both Um, bigger companies, you can get both of those because you can potentially move around smaller companies. It's obviously a lot harder to, but I think companies probably want talent that is constantly learning and on their edge. And then I bet, younger you know talent today millennials are like they want to be challenged and have new experiences right and if their current company can offer that to them then you know i wouldn't i would imagine staying would be hard to convince yourself to do um Mm -hmm. so
1: right yeah and throughout your entire time there like how many times do you think about leaving before you ultimately did
0: probably like really came close, probably two or three mm-hmm. um, and usually those were precipitated by me not feeling challenged or growing um or seeing a future for myself or having a really, really bad boss. that was one of them okay, I had a really, really bad boss, and I almost quit the boss so but i didn't uh i wasn't always looking but i did keep my feelers out there to see what was going on out there and see if something would be interesting and challenging and i was more open to those conversations when if i wasn't feeling like i was learning or growing or challenging in my role so Hmm.
1: interesting and so what happened with the one with the the bad boss like how did how did that ultimately like did you move to another position like what happened with that one
0: yeah, almost. Uh, well, I can't. I literally came like this close in the moment of uh, <laughs> flipping them <laughs> off, <laughs> not, not coming back in. Right. And I am a very usually composed, thoughtful, you know. So to me, to get to that boiling point is really unusual. That is a chapter in my book, by the way. <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I had to learn to make. The most of the situation for a very short term on a very short term basis and i ended up uh, moving to another um function actually i ended up being assigned to a team that reported right into the office of the ceo and got a really plumb assignment it just came at the right time so okay. i didn't leave and that probably came a month or two after i came that close to quitting um that boss so
1: okay interesting and so now, like maybe walk me through like your job progression as you rose through the ranks at Starbucks. Like so, you started in HR, like
0: like mm-hmm. general kind
1: of progression. Like, what did it look like?
0: Yeah, and it's a lot of lateral progression. So I, as I've mentioned, and you're getting from me, I like to learn and challenge and grow. For me, that doesn't always have to be in a very linear fashion. Um, it can be very, you know, it can be horizontal as well. And so my career looks like that. So. I was in HR um, and then I specialized in training for a while. And then I went into, I was a training manager supporting an outside sales organization. So I decided to rotate in to that team. That was supposed to be a year, but ended up being seven years. Um, And I ended up managing a sales team west of the Mississippi river. Um, From there, I took a a year long sabbatical after that. And I traveled around the world for a year. And then I came into, went back into training and development. And I was in, I was the director of training for Starbucks US business for a while. And then from there, I moved into, it was called operations support. So the team that directly supported the stores. I moved from training into um, working on continuous improvement, uh, labor, which is really, Um, How is the work deployed in the stores from, and what's the dollars to make that happen Um, and operations engineering. So all of a sudden I was like a vice president. I got promoted. I was vice president for these really technical functions, which are not technical experts. And then I had probably two other two or three other VP assignments before I left. So HR and training out to sales, back to training into operations and then several different um operational vp roles um like my last six years there or so
1: interesting so you really got a really interesting view of kind of how how all the pieces kind of work together to create starbucks and how just great of a company it is
0: yeah and i think you know we may get into a little bit my current consulting business i think that's helped me um work really effectively with a lot of fast changing or fast growing businesses because I have a very holistic approach. I naturally look at things through the lens of talent and people, but then I also have the business elements there in terms of the financials and the operational protocols and the strategy setting and those types of things. I've worked both in a staff function, but also in a frontline function, everything I've worked in store development. I was training manager for store development and store design for a while. I was... training manager for a call. I had managed 600 person contact center, call center, customer service center. So like I've had so much there that when I go work with my clients today, there's this, you know, you know, you're going to get a pretty broad perspective. The only areas I have not worked in directly or not supported are marketing pretty much. And I've never been in finance, but I have a pretty good understanding of it. I even worked with supply chain for a while. So it's pretty much marketing that I have. And there are lots of other people who do that really well. So I don't need to learn how to do that.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Were there any like particular like jobs or like projects that you very much enjoyed in particular that kind of like really lit you up?
0: Yeah, you know. Overall, anytime where I had a chance to interact and develop people, that lit me up. I mean, I love that just as as a leadership philosophy of mine. Like I believe, you know, the way you get work done is through your people. So you should be focusing on your people, not just getting the work done, right? But if I had to pick like projects where I had amazing teams and I found the project super fun and interesting, there were two. One, when I was in the director of training for the US business, it was in 2008, 2009, when the country was going through a pretty severe economic crisis. And uh, Howard Schultz came back as the CEO of Starbucks. He'd stepped away. Um, He'd fired uh, the CEO. He came back, restructured his leadership team. And um, I worked with him on a project where we decided to retrain all of our stores on the quality uh, making, um, qualities of making great coffee and customer service. And it wasn't intended to be happen this way, but what, what ended up happening was um, my team and I made a recommendation to him to shut down all of the stores to do this training because they felt like it was the only way you could do it. This was, yeah, 2000, I think this was 2008. Yeah, I should know. It's like February 16th, 2008. (laughs) I remember like, it's like so clearly at 6 p.m. local time. Um, (laughs) But we, um, and he said yes. And we'd never done anything like that. And we had six weeks to develop and deploy this training to every single employee in the company. Um, We had no technology. There wasn't like stores didn't have laptops or computers um, and they didn't have any other kind of devices we had a voicemail system um, <laughs> that went deployed messages to stores but so we had to figure out how do you get really creative and so it was so fun and so rewarding because yeah. I had an amazing team um, that just banded together and made it happen and pushed through obstacles and we, google it sometime because we the company got unprecedented media coverage yeah i was just gonna i was just gonna follow up with
1: that i said i I was like i was just gonna follow up with like didn't that make like tons of headlines (laughs) it did and that was not
0: there was we never went into this as a marketing stunt that was never the goal i mean with all genuineness it was me my boss and my one of my managers walking into howard's office and saying hey we think we should do this and here's why and he looked right at us and he said that's a big idea and we're like, "Oh shit, now I gotta make this happen, <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, and then all this media stuff, I mean, it was all over like John Stewart, you know, the yeah. daily show, um Stephen Colbert, like all the news wire everywhere, and yeah. So that was one really awesome project. And the other project, I can go into detail if if interested, but um, was the VP assignment I was mentioning earlier when I moved from working for the the boss that I almost quit on. And I was asked to lead the development and execution of a global leadership conference for two of them, one for all the district managers around the world, which is about 2,500 people. And then all the store managers in the US, which was about 12,000 people and to design the content, the strategy, and logistics. And that was so much fun too. And that was, I, because I had a really amazing team um, that I handpicked. And, you know, that's, that's another great leadership story because I was asked to take people on my team because they had nowhere else for them to go. And I would only take the people who I felt would not only be the highest performers, but those that actually worked well together. Um, and that paid Dividends off in, in, in that work. And so that was a super fun project as well.
1: Interesting. Okay. And you may have alluded to this a little bit earlier, but what were, what were some of the key factors that made you want to stay at Starbucks for so many years?
0: Um, definitely people. You know, I think um, the people that I worked with, the idea of taking care of people, taking care of customers, a company that is very purpose driven, really strong values. Um, I mean, that's really it. If, you know, if I did consider leaving, I mentioned, cause I was bored or wasn't being challenged or a bad manager within that sometimes it's like, I was questioning where the company's going, you know, but that very rarely came up for me because even when the going got tough, uh, the organization committed to its values. And so that's what kept me there. Um, and some of my friends, you know, lifelong friends I've had, I met there, um, and, um, it just attracts people of similar, um, and similar values for, mm-hmm. you know, risk of being repetitive. I think that, but that's super important if people are considering, you know, jobs and places they want to be a part of is how well does that, how well does that organization's values line up to your own? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't probably not going to be very much fun to work there.
1: Right. And what were some of those values?
0: taking care of people, which I mentioned, um, uh, collaboration, challenging the status quo, having fun. Uh, I said, taking care of people. I mean, that one just could come up over right. and over again. Um, taking care of your customers, striving for performance. So again, there's like not, uh, I said, not being satisfied with the status quo. There's like an innovation component, but there's also like, how can we get better and better and better? How do we continue to, Lap our performance, and it's not just from a financial perspective, but how do we continue to surprise and delight customers, and um, come up with new ideas? And then, how do we, as, as individuals in and organization, also lap ourselves? So, yeah.
1: Okay. And when did you ultimately leave the company?
0: I left in. Uh, gosh, it's, it's been almost four years, to, uh, February 2017, I think. Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. And why did you decide to leave then?
0: That's another chapter in the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying this to plug the book, it's just so fresh in my mind. Yeah. Because that was not something that I just, you know, obviously I wouldn't be there that long and do something on a whim. But mm. I was getting to the point in my career where I've done, as you pointed out, a lot of different things. But, and through that, I was getting clear on what are the things that I really enjoy and what are the things I'm really good at and what are the things that I just don't want to do because it's just not a right fit for me. And I became a, much of a utility player at Starbucks, which on one hand is really awesome because you can plug and play and do a lot of different things. The same point in time, I wanted to have a little more control now that I have this clarity around the things that are my strengths and the are my passions. I want to have a little more control about what does that look like? And so I worked with a career coach for a while and she helped me like really crystallize those things. And she, um, then I started seeing how do those, where do I, can I find those in the company? I couldn't find them. And I think part of it is because as a company that's as big as Starbucks is jobs become smaller, right? I mean, you have big jobs, but the jobs become more narrow. Sure. And so the things that I was looking for might've been within three people's jobs, right? Right. Not just one job. So that, that was part of it. And actually that was the main reason why I decided to leave. So I took, um, I took a second sabbatical I mentioned earlier, I took a sabbatical and took a year off and traveled around, around the world. Um, And that was about 20 years ago. And then I took another sabbatical right before, I left and um, used that time to kind of do some of this exploration and have some personal goals. And while I was on sabbatical, I met an owner of a healthcare, small healthcare company here in Seattle and I wasn't looking for a job. He didn't offer me a job, but I could start to see how this breadth of skills that I have and the things that I'm passionate about could apply in other organizations, his and others I talked with. And so I came back from my sabbatical at Starbucks And wasn't quite sure still where I was going to be able to kind of fit. Um, And then this founder, CEO of this small company offered me a job. So probably one of the scarier decisions I've ever made going from a big, huge, known brand with a lot of infrastructure support benefits I don't want to say stability because nothing's really stable these days anymore, but I went from that to this really small company where it was a brand new industry, certainly not as, um, established by any means. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a huge risk, but I had this philosophy in my mind, if not now, when, and what am I waiting for? Am I waiting until I'm dead and I'm waiting until I retire? Am I waiting until I can't absolutely can't stand it anymore? it doesn't make sense. Like there's no reason why I shouldn't do things that fulfill me today and find a way to make that happen. Um, So I gave my notice and don't really have any aspirations for going back into the big corporate world (laughs) anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Okay. And it seems to me like as someone grows in their career, and they start to take on more and more leadership positions. Um, that the importance of having a support system, whether it's like family, friends, significant other, mm-hmm. coach, therapist, etc., also becomes more important. Have you found that to be the case? And maybe like talk to me about how that importance has played out in your career.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm. I know we'll probably talk about running at some point and how I got into running. But my running group has become a really played a really significant role in my support. Um, and it's been a unique way for me to get support and perspective because none of us work in the same company, we don't live in the same neighborhood, we're not the same ages, we don't have the same cultural background, ethnic background, childhood background. Like it couldn't be more diverse. Mm -hmm. Um and having such a great diverse support network group has really helped me consider perspectives and ideas I probably wouldn't have without them. Leading Starbucks, where I had a really established professional network um, internally, um, that was probably one of the biggest changes I realized was going to a small company. And so it didn't take me long to realize and know that I missed having a peer group because I didn't really have a peer group in my new company. And so I then built up Uh, a network of support, people to call on, to bounce ideas off of. Um, And I also joined a mastermind group, um, which has really helped too. So i found that, it I mean, everybody needs to have a little support. And I find having the breadth of support and the diversity of support based on what my needs are um, and what also I can offer has been critical. And now I'm by myself, like I have to have that whether I get that through my running group people who some of them have do work in big business and they can share with me like different trends and things they're trying to do or through a group of entrepreneurs who've all been, you know, in, in startups themselves. But um, yeah. And then, and we talked a little bit about the leadership coach I worked with for a while. Mm -hmm. That was helpful too. So yes, yes, yes. To answer your question, (laughs) it's really important and it's just taken different shapes in my life. Um, depending on where I am and what I'm working on what I need Um, Mm -hmm. because you can't do anything by yourself.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And as you reflect back on your whole Starbucks experience and journey, do you think that you attached a large part of your identity to Starbucks? Like maybe to like the job or the company?
0: Oh, for sure. Um, That was actually the thing, one of the other things that was a really hard transition for me because First of all, like my friends, my family, my husband, like all grew with, with me as I grew up at Starbucks, you know, think about that. I met my husband after I worked at Starbucks, like, and so that's all he, he had known. Um, my kid was in the Starbucks daycare. Um, you know, my best friends worked for Starbucks and it's a known brand. So I go someplace and I tell people I work for Starbucks and they're like, Oh, here's my favorite store. That's always a response. Oh, I love the barista (laughs) at this store. But I tell them where, I, oh, I'm working at Tangelo Health. What's that? Well, is that, like, is that like physical therapy? Is that like a gym? And then like all of a sudden I'm trying like, ah. Like, and I feel like I had to explain myself. And it wasn't so simple. And so yes, definitely Starbucks wrapped up my identity. And it, and it still is. I'm actually the president of the board of the Starbucks Alumni Network. Um, we're a nonprofit and that's a way for me to kind of stay connected. But yeah, it's a big part of my, big part of my identity. And, um, I went through a little bit of soul searching after I left because I had a hard time describing, but then it also has opened up a ton of doors for me that I worked there so long, right. Because it is an own brand. So from a consulting business or even job offers that come through, like that has, that has helped. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of the biggest, your biggest takeaways or lessons learned from working at Starbucks for all those years?
0: <laughs> That's such a big question. <laughs> um, take care of people. Always take care of your people. If you take care of your people, they'll take care of your custom, customer. Take care of your community because um, we don't live in a vacuum. And, um, Yeah, I'd say those are probably the biggest, biggest two. There's other like disciplines from a management, you know, process perspective or strategic planning perspective or things like that. But I would say if you're taking care of your people to take care of your customers and you take care of your communities and you're, you know, kind of perpetuating goodwill, that's actually our alumni vision is to help, you know, alumni continue to have a positive impact on humanity. It's very broad and bold, but that's really carried forward from our Starbucks experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Service. It's all about service.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Got it. So um, the company they end up working for after Starbucks is called Tangelo? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, what do they do?
0: So they are a, um, so the name when I joined was Kinetic Sports Rehab. Okay. Um, and that was one of my projects was taking it through a name change and a brand change because the company wanted to scale and there was some trademarking and things that were barriers, but, um, they are a combination, um, uh, sports chiropractic and sports rehab business, primarily helping people, um, overcome injury and getting back to doing what they love. Um, that's the primary thing. So healthcare. Okay.
1: And what, um, inspired you to work there? It's like such a different, business.
0: I, I was a patient of theirs after my very first half marathon. Um, I had a running injury. I didn't know anything about strengthening muscles. I just knew that running was putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and ended up really overworking my IT band, um, to the point I couldn't walk. Wow. And somebody referred me there, and I f- fell in love with the vibe and the culture. Um, the you know, you walk in, you get high fived. There's pumping music. You don't feel like you're in our doctor's office. Um, everybody there is super positive. Every single person, every single location, is I would say really. I don't want to say put through the ringer because that's not the right word. But they're really giving a lot of. Um, they really consider the cultural aspect of it to kind of, cause it's part of the brand. And so I was a patient there and I really admired what they did and how they did it. Um, and I met the um, CEO and when he started sharing with me his ambitions for growth, um, he was a doctor by trade. Um, he's super passionate about culture and values of an organization, but he didn't have the operational or ability to scale, um, background that I did. And he didn't have a job at the time. We were just talking and riffing and we hit it off. And after a few months, he said, you know, Christine, I want to take this company big places, but I can't do it without you. we you come aboard. And so that's what happened. So my job was the official job title was chief strategy officer. Um, in a small company, it means you do everything. <laughs> so you work with the CEO to set the vision of the company and create the roadmap to get there. But I also had a lot of functional responsibility for everything from uh, front desk operations to billing department, to finance. I even had marketing for a little while. Um, I had a couple of people on the marketing team. So yeah. So that was, I don't even know what your first question was, but that's what I did there. <laughs> that's yeah, how I got no, there. <laughs> the to,
1: yeah, a couple of follow-up questions too. So Okay. Um, yeah, so it sounds like you were like a chief executive, like three chief executive type roles, like chief this. Yeah. Chief yeah. That, yeah. It's a
0: small company. I mean, he was the CEO. I mean, that was clear, but I was like right. his, and that was actually part of what um, we talked about before I started working there is. Working with a career coach, again, and getting really clear on what am I good at? What do I like? I knew that I didn't want to be somebody's person anymore. Like, I wanted to be a driver in this. And so I, you know, one of my conditions, um, then I was very explicit with him coming on board, is like, I want to do this with you, not for you. And it's not about my ego. It's about wanting to have an opportunity to have an impact and to bring my best thinking to the table and so um even though he owns the company i wanted to be his equal and partner in it um and if he wasn't open to that then i was not interested so that's just how it all happened
1: yeah yeah that's cool and did you so did you enjoy your time there
0: i did i really enjoyed a lot i one thing i really love to is not even about the is about like the services that, that we provided, but the um, I really got steeped in the whole health and wellness community. And my network is so big right now. It's so broad. <laughs> and because of that, like I have this whole Starbucks connection. Now I have this whole health and wellness connection. Now I have some other, based on other clients I've, I've had, like, it's just kind of like gotten really broad in my network, but I love the positivity of being in health and wellness, whether it's, a yoga studio, an orange theory gym, a healthcare place. I mean, you know, your coach, right? Like when you help people, yeah, it's a great chief things that they maybe didn't see in themselves or see were possible, and there's so much positivity. Um, it's like it's such a fun thing to be a part of. Like we had group workouts. That's what we did for team building. <laughs> so we go to <laughs> we go to a Pilates studio with one of our Pilates partners. And I just, and it wasn't about just the fitness. It was about like that positivity and helping people feel good. So I love that. And it was really interesting to learn about healthcare industry because I know so much more about health insurance and health insurers and how that works. I didn't have that experience before. And then just how hard and challenging it can be to run a small business, you know, from a financial perspective and you know, I've had several small business consulting clients since then. And like you have these CEOs and founders who, you know, love and believe so much what they're doing and how they can transform the world. And it's so fun to be a part of that. And so challenging because a lot of times they're kind of bootstrapped and trying to figure out how do they, you know, how do they invest while they're growing invest in their growth, but also still um, take care of, you know, their daily operations. And it's a dynamic that I never was exposed to. at such a big company when my labor, you know, line item on the L was $4 billion. Right. Like when I had to manage that, you know, versus a company's revenue, you know, it could be four or 10 million or whatever. Like that's, you, you know, it's just, it's a different level of judiciousness that needs to take place and in, intention and so I learned a lot about how to small businesses strike that balance. So. Yeah.
1: Interesting. And kind of more like generally speaking, like what was it like going from a, like, such a large enterprise to a small, mm-hmm. medium-sized organization?
0: Um, the things I loved about working in a small organization are the agility, um, the ability to do a lot of different things, the ability to make an impact, decide, and do right? You can mm-hmm. decide and do pretty quickly. I love working, as I mentioned, the CEOs and founders getting in their heads because there's just so much energy um, yeah. there. I think the things that were challenging was, I mentioned this already, not having a peer group. So I had to adapt to that. Um, resource constraints. You know, one day I might be working on the three-year strategy and plotting out real estate, future real estate locations. And the next day, I am trying to set somebody up in the benefit system, and you know, literally typing something in and trying to you know make sure that they're getting enrolled. Like you just go in the gamut, and I didn't mind that, but if it got um, disproportionate balance because there's a need to be down in the weeds, it wasn't. It just wasn't as, wouldn't be as fulfilling. So those are kind of the so lots of pluses like right. i don't regret it at all um it's just you're dealing with different constraints um and you have to find a way to get your kind of learning and your networking support elsewhere mm-hmm. so yeah.
1: yeah yeah that makes sense and what surprised you the most about working at a small like medium-sized organization
0: what mm, surprised me oh that's a good question i mean i kind of felt like i knew what i was getting into Okay, But I'm thinking of like, I don't know if this surprised me, like I, uh, but I noticed this with some of my consulting clients, because a lot of my consulting clients are small to medium-sized organizations, that I can go really fast. Like I can put together amazing solution to a complex problem with a whole implementation plan really quickly the organization's ability to absorb it. i always underestimate that. <laughs> and I <laughs> came the assumption that a smaller company, you might be able to do more because they're like, give me more, give me more. But once you start giving them more and they realize what it's going to take from an organizational change leadership perspective or to actually operationalize it, like, I guess I was a little surprised that you know, the people, some of them couldn't keep up with me. And I don't mean to say that to sound like, oh, I'm cocky. I can do, it. you know, it's just like, I guess I, I would thought because of the nimbleness and their agility, they'd be able to do it. But the, just like any organization, you still need to lead people through change. Mm-hmm. So um, things sometimes t- t- take longer than I would like, even in a small company, especially because CEOs, founders, any senior leadership teams need to like, they need, they, they, they have a need to really get into it and really understand it to yeah. a much deeper level than it might be in a bigger organization too. Mm-hmm. So, and they should, it's just different. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And so when do you start your own consulting firm?
0: So this is a funny story. So I, was running with one of my running buddies and must have been in 2017 ish. I'm trying to think. And he's actually works at Amazon and he loves leadership coaching and they're just talking. And he said, uh, one day he's like, you know, Christine, we should like form our leadership coaching, like business. And I'm always trying to get him to leave the big corporate job. Because he's had this, like, he likes the more security, you know. He's okay. Amazon, Nordstrom, airline right. companies, like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let's do this. And he's like, ah. <laughs> so after that, so after that conversation, it was like on a Saturday, a long run day. I came home. Wait, is
1: is he still at uh, Amazon? He is. Okay. <laughs>
0: and if he listens to this, he's gonna know I'm talking about him because I poke him at all the time on it <laughs> to like do, you know just take a risk, dude. But, because he's always telling me to. He's the one that actually suggested I write the book and he's always okay. like encouraging me. So anyway, so we, after this run, I come home. I'm like, I wonder what it's like to set up a business license. Like I get online. Oh, I just set a business license. There's my 25 bucks. I am just going to make, can I say cuss words on here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <was> like, <laughs> I'm going to make shit up. I'm going to send an email out to people, a handful of people I know, 12 people and say, Hey. Christine McHugh Consulting and Coaching is now in business. This is while I was working at T'Angelo. I have capacity for two clients. If you know of anybody, let me know. I got two emails by the end of the day. (laughs) So I was like, that's how it got started. I'm in business. I didn't even know what I was going to charge. So (laughs) it was so funny. So I was like, okay, so I'll just do this as a side hustle. And then while I was still working there, I got a referral from somebody who wanted me to help out design a retreat for the city of Seattle parks department, Um, which I love the parks. It's the same ties in my values. It's serving others. It's creating community. I'm a big user of the parks and they're like, we're just doing this retreat. So I'm like, well, maybe I can, you know, take a day off for their treat and then just design the treat. And so I started that and had a couple of coaching clients um, while I was at Tangelo. And then when I left Tangelo, I had planned on looking for a job, and I did. Um, didn't find anything that inspired me. And in the meantime, uh, somebody called me and said, hey, we want you to come to our organization. It's a health and wellness startup. Um, we want you to be our CEO. We think you'd be perfect, here's why. I go talk with them. I was like, you guys don't need me. It's too early, I'll be bored. I'm too much for what you need right now, just scope wise. But if you need some help in kind of getting things, your house in order, um, you know, I'd be happy to take you on as a short-term consulting client while I look for a job. And so that's just kind of how it happened. So it started at Tangelo. And then when I left, I planned on looking for another job. And then I ended up deciding to go consulting full-time. And that was, was that a year ago? It was like a year and a half ago, maybe, yeah. So, yeah.
1: Interesting. And so how has the, the journey been so far doing that full time?
0: Um, it has been, um, you know, like a roller coaster, right? You know, being your own, being an entrepreneur and um, in the time of COVID and just in general, you know, getting clear on who my target customer is and all that. But I have been blessed, Jace. Like I have had steady clients, um, and I had a downtime maybe February March, and that's it. So um, part of it's me continuing to learn and figure out where I can add the most value and what type of work I like to do, um, right. and just kind of being thoughtful about that. But it's been super fun, and I like being my own boss. I like um, you know being able to contribute and help these organizations get to the next level and whatever that looks like for them. So I enjoy the diversity of clients that I've had. Um, there is definitely a common thread um, in terms of their service orientation and their missions, but um, it's been fun, but it's been stressful a couple of times because I'm like, I'm not a marketer. I don't know how to create a website. I don't know how to, well, I can find people to help me. Um, but just a lot of of learning, but it it appeals to my sense of learning and challenge, so.
1: Right, right. And so what are like some of like the services or like offerings um, Mm -hmm. that you provide to your clients, like kind of like a rundown?
0: Well, I mean, I would say there's kind of the rundown, but there's also like my sweet spot that I'm learning that I love. And so I do a lot of projects around strategy development and then how do you put, how do you operationalize that strategy into your daily work? Um, and so if you figure that like from, a, you know, you've worked in corporate America, like what's your strap plan and then what is it going to look like this next year and what are the measurable outcomes and what are the initiatives that are going to get us there? And then how do you build that into your daily work rhythms and systems? So that, mm-hmm. that stuff's pretty comfortable for me and I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, as long as there's an element of how do you enhance and to grow the culture with this and the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do those things, but what I've found is that the, um, engagements that are most fulfilling to me and where I feel like I can have the biggest impact is when I come on as a retained or an interim executive kind of to augment their leadership team. So for example, last year, a couple of my clients, one of them, I ended up doing an interim COO role. So I kind of step in, I'm part of their leadership team. I do what a COO would do, I help them figure out how they can optimize a lot of the um, staffing challenges that they were having and I'm part of the rhythm of their business. Then I had another one where I was um, equivalent of an interim head of HR um, because they were going through a bunch of transition there. Mm -hmm. Right now I am a retained role with a uh, nonprofit slash VC, it's a venture capital firm too, And, um, I'm doing a lot in their strategy and COO type role. So those are the things I like because I can tackle big meaty projects, but I can also work in tandem with the team to develop the team and enhance their culture. And that's, you know, my ideal situation. I do a little bit of coaching on the side separate. Like I have a coaching client where, you know, typically it's a six month contract where i meet with them and we work on development goals and things like that and i love that because i love working with people um but i like being embedded in the organization or being a uh, augmentation to an organization because i feel like you can kind of deliver kind of those projects and those things that have sustained results by also enhancing the culture so hopefully that answered your question
1: yeah no it did that's interesting Mm -hmm. and so when you take on one of these interim roles is that like like, do you do that full-time? Like, is that like your kind of like your only, like, I don't know, like job? Like, it's it like, like kind of like day-to-day?
0: I'm smiling because um, one of the things I love about consulting is that I don't have to work full-time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, like, I have this one now and I have this coaching client and mm-hmm. it's not full-time and what we're accustomed to, but... That's, you know, the role I play. Most of those okay. engagements tend to be 20 hours a week-ish um, okay. or at least that's what they have been so far. So, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Okay. And how long would they usually go for?
0: Um, it varies, but sure. um, the one I'm on now is going to be the longest because it's been about six months and they're having me on through the, actually they asked me to stay on through the end of next year. So, oh, wow. okay. um, yeah, they just asked me that like a month ago. Um, and it was through the end of this year. So it was originally like a 10 month or I do my mm-hmm. math, right. Eight month, eight month contract, but usually the minimum of three months. Cause it's hard to get traction if you can't like, sure. if you just kind of come in and come out. So, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. With all that's been going on in, in 2020, have you seen like an increased demand for like help in terms of setting up? like inclusive work environments mm-hmm. or like maybe like the shift to like remote and virtual and how that all works. I guess part of like like your clients asking you for help in any of those areas.
0: Um, I don't have clients specifically asking me for help in those areas, but the client that I'm on contract with is having me do some of that for their team.
1: Okay. So it wasn't
0: even part of the original scope, mm-hmm. but it's actually become part of the things they want me to help them with because, um, they know that I have this interest and skills in kind of org development and um, um, caring for people and culture, it kind of naturally ties into that. So I lead a work stream within that organization on kind of what does that look like for their their team. I haven't had it come up from anybody else, so.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, what's your ultimate vision for your firm?
0: Besides to be able to do an occasional project while sitting underneath a palapa, drinking a margarita in Mexico. I
1: was very specific.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, it's, I I really would like to keep doing what I'm doing and I'd like to do it with very mission driven, purpose driven organizations. And I'd like to do it at the discretion of my own schedule. I mean, consider (laughs) that a, um, I'm not lazy. I'm just like on the back half of my career, right? So yeah, I'd like to you know, continue what I'm doing for a while and have that ultimately lead into retirement. But as long as I'm working, I wanna be able to work with very purpose-driven service-oriented organizations to help them have a positive impact on their communities in the world. And so um, I'm not planning on growing big, just planning on continuing to do that. I don't envision myself having hundred staff members or do anything like that. I bunch of subcontracting, but I like to, I like to positively contribute to organizations whose values are the same as mine. So,
1: right. Right. Awesome. And then shifting gears here. Um, when does your distance running career start?
0: How do you define distance?
1: Uh, like when did you start getting into like, like half marathon and, and above let's say,
0: So I mentioned to you, I started running with this running group, and I think it was my first half marathon was 2013, maybe. Um, But I had never really had done much running, but I showed up one day to this running group to uh, meet some people and not run by myself in the dark. And the furthest I'd <laughs> ever run in my life was like five miles. And I'd only done it once. And before I knew it, these people in the group roped me into signing up for my first half marathon. And they had the group led a build leads a build up. And so everybody's like, oh it's easy. You just add on a, a mile to your long run every week, right? Maybe run a couple days a week. And um like a lot of distance runners, you know, after your first race or certain races, you'll be like, I'm never doing that again. That was painful. That sucked. <laughs> that hurt. Um, And then you get amnesia and then you sign up for another one. And so <laughs> I did those for a couple of years. And then my first full marathon was in 2016 was New York. Um, and I did that while I was on my sabbatical from Starbucks. Um, and I did it for charity and of course I never thought I would run a marathon, never going to do that. Why would anybody do that? Um, had such a positive, incredible experience, um, that I have since run basically one a year. Um, Mm -hmm. although not this year because I was supposed to run Chicago, but it got canceled. Right. Um, but yeah, so half marathons, 2013, I think, or 14. Mm -hmm. can't remember exactly. Yeah. Something like that.
1: Yeah. And what keeps you going? Like as a runner, like why, why do you run and like keep doing these marathons?
0: Goal setting, um, growth, seeing what's possible. Um, community for sure. Um, being with other people as I mentioned, I run with a group and there's just a lot of support. So even if we're not all running the same race, you almost always have somebody to train with you, um, for different things. And, um, but definitely goal setting, seeing what I can do, seeing what's possible. I also really, really love the training process. Um, I think that appeals to my sense of structure and organization, right? And having a plan, even though it doesn't always go as planned. Um, and I love the feeling of accomplishment of a heavy week and eating all the food and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just like I really. But yeah, it's mostly seeing what I can do and what I have in me and trying to, um, you know, pursue things that you never thought were possible before, uh, whether that's a distance or a time or what have you. So, yeah. And I've been actually cycling a lot this summer, uh, something I haven't been into. And I had a goal at a running injury earlier this spring. And then when I realized Chicago was probably going to be canceled, I needed to do something. And so I decided to set a goal to ride a century. Which I did two weeks ago. Um,
1: oh yeah, I think I saw so, that on, on Instagram. Yeah, you posted something. So
0: yeah. much fun! So much fun! Oh, it was amazing. But I like I need I need to have something you know that I'm that I'm working towards. So mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, that's great. And how, how was that century ride?
0: It was a blast. I I think my body's made for cycling more than it's made for running. But I also think cycling is less impact as well. It is not. I think it's a lot less mm-hmm. impact than running. And I really yeah, I just, um, I get fatigued, but I don't, not like an, you know, as sore, but I also feel like my endurance is really strong. So I loved it. I'm not necessarily ready to go set another goal, but a friend of mine did say last weekend, she's like, oh, we should do another century before the end of, you know, the summer or, you know, end of October. And I'm like, okay, cool. Cause now I know I can, I can do it, but I, I loved it. You know, shoulders get a little bit tired, but other than that. It was yeah. fun. You can just cover so much territory on a bike, so much more than you can. It just takes a lot of time right. compared to running.
1: Yeah. That yeah. was fun. That's awesome. Have you noticed some, I'm sure you have like any parallels between marathon running and marathon training um, as, and business?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's this thing around like goal setting, which we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You got to know where you're going and you need to have a plan to get there. And business or, you know, cycling or running and that plan needs to flex. Right. So definitely parallels with that. And, and then I think the last one I'd add is like having a level of support and community. You can't do it on your own. I mean, you could, but it's definitely not as fun, you know, and right. you don't have as, if you have support, whether in business or in your running or you're cycling, you get additional knowledge. Um, you get to have fun, um, you get new ideas, um, you get accountability. And, um, I think that those are, those are all, all parallels. Um, but as I said, it just starts with the goal, <laughs> you yeah. know, on my whiteboard at home. Um, Courtney, my friend Courtney guided me through this. When I was trying to figure out how to organize my priorities and stuff. It's different when you work for yourself. And so I ended up, um, out of inspiration from her, I have three goals on my, whiteboard at home. I have a revenue goal for my business. I have an athletic goal and I have a goal for my book. And then I kind of have this placeholder for community. And each of those goals are color coded. And each week I like, what are my weekly goals? So anything in blue is athletic, anything in green, because green is money, is revenue. Anything in orange is my book. And then every day I set tasks to do that. And that's really helped, but I need that I need to remember my why I'm doing what I'm doing and having that front and center and keeping me focused yet flexible. Um, there's a reason why it's on a whiteboard and why I update it every day. I don't update the top goals every day, but I update the other, the daily goals every day and even the weekly ones sometimes, but it's to keep headed towards something. So,
1: yeah, that's great. That's, that's very structured.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I, am, I am a very structured human being <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> doesn't I, one of the things I'm learning how to do is, is to be less structured and being an entrepreneur does require that. And obviously being an athlete, too, because I've had beautiful training plans on really wonderful spreadsheets that detail what pace I need to hit for my track workout each week, what my tempo runs need to look like what my total weekly mileage is, what my recovery stuff is, but I also know things change because like here in Seattle, we've had tons of smoke from the wildfires. I haven't been able to run or cycle the last couple of days. I just, it's been an unhealthy level. And so I'm like, hmm. Oh, can't get stressed out about that. Even though I'm supposed to run a half marathon on Sunday or Saturday, like there's nothing I can do about it. So even if I have a nice neat little spreadsheet, it kind of things have to, move around so yes there's structure to start but being flexible within the structure
1: Mm -hmm. yeah interesting okay i'm getting into these last handful of questions here (laughs) (laughs) uh what is one big goal um uh like personal business or athletic like you mentioned um they would love to accomplish over the next few years
0: um gosh it's just to show you my whiteboard i don't have in front of me (laughs) though because that's the same uh, they're on there so I definitely want to publish my book, um, which I actually expect to publish next year. Um, And then I do have a Boston qualifier as a goal. I haven't BQ'd before. That was actually my goal for this year for Chicago, but injury and COVID had other plans. And no real business goal. I'd like to be able to maintain the same kind of momentum that I have, but I'd say the book is my top goal of all of those that I just mentioned
1: okay and what is that what is the book about is it about uh, your time at Starbucks what is it? what mm-hmm. is it okay
0: it's a memoir um, of kind of my life and leadership lessons during my time there it's not about Starbucks but it's definitely Starbucks is the through line um, okay there so yeah so it's the working title is from barista to boardroom and it it's a is, great title like I said, <laughs> that's my running buddy I was telling you about yeah. the one who he came up with that, the book and the idea that I should start a consulting business. I just need to get <laughs> him out of his corporate job. I listen to him much better than he listens to me. But, um, yeah, so now I'm in the final, final editing stages right now, and I'm starting to explore publishers. So, yeah.
1: Awesome. What does your daily routine look like?
0: Um, well, it starts with in the mornings, always exercise and uh, usually a meditation app and um, journaling pretty much every morning in some order and eating breakfast. I love big breakfast, so breakfast. And then I, my day kind of the blocks move around, but I have usually some client work blocks and meetings. I have some community service blocks for nonprofits that I'm involved in and um, and then I probably have some business development blocks, which could be my blog or doing things like this podcast potentially. And then I tend to wind down or do chores in between. Cause that's one of the things about working for myself and working at home. I can do laundry or go water the yard in between these things. <laughs> I don't have to right. do it all at the end of the day. Um, and then the end of the day usually uh, finishes off with a dog walk and um, dinner with the family. And then I'm usually in bed by nine o'clock because I'm usually up about four thirty or five. So.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Early riser. Yeah. Okay. And then as is the name of the podcast, the driving force <laughs> podcast, what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life?
0: Service service to others service to our communities service to people. I am at my best and most fulfilled if I am helping people. And that can be by ways of sharing my story. Um, Later this afternoon, I have a call with somebody who's going through a job transition. I don't know the person, but I'm helping her. Fridays, I volunteer at the food bank. Like my driving force is like service Mm -hmm. Um, because the world will not go around if people aren't helping each other. And so it's all about helping. That's my driving force.
1: <laughs> awesome. Where, where do you think that stems from? Your, your sense of service?
0: Somebody asked me this recently, actually, in another podcast or an interview, actually. Um, I think it comes from two places. I think it comes from growing up in, um, in a family that were civil servants in terms of you know their service um, to their communities by government office or other appointments, um, knowing that there's a, a, a desire to help people. And that's kind of how we should treat each other is, is helping people. And then I think another big part of it came from growing up at Starbucks. Um, Starbucks is very much a servant leadership, service-oriented, community-oriented organization. And I do sometimes wonder if I hadn't worked there would this be as deep in my DNA as it is? And I don't think it would be. So I think those two combinations have really driven that. Plus, I, I you know, it's selfish. Being of service and helping others makes me feel good. So <laughs> right. I like doing it and I like the rewards that come from that, no matter if they mean, you know, packing up a bunch of food at the food bank so more people can eat or helping somebody on a step towards whatever their career organizational journey is. It's totally selfish, um, it makes <laughs> me feel good. So. Right. Yeah. But that's my guess on where it comes from.
1: Okay, awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, what parting words of wisdom or advice around career development would you like to leave the people listening?
0: <sighs> I would say, just um, be open to the possibilities is one. Um, and try new things. That's one thing for sure. You just never know where something might lead you or take you. I would also encourage everybody to do things in your career that align with your values. Um, If something is not a fit for your values or not a match, or you just feel like it's a bit of a rub, it's probably not the right thing for you. And you're going to do better work and be more fulfilled and be rewarded when you're at a place that actually fits for you. So I would do that. And I would also advise people, and this is especially for people who are earlier in career, is don't focus so much on the rungs of the ladder. Focus on the rungs of the learning, for lack of better words. Like what can Mm -hmm. you learn and what can you gain from this experience not what's gonna get me to the next level so I can have this title or this pay because you might actually be missing out if that's your singular focus. So if you can focus on the rungs of the learning versus the rungs of the ladder, I'm fairly confident you will get those other, those other goals will come by way of that. So you open the possibilities, try new things, live your values and don't get so focused on the next level. Those are my, come to mind.
1: Awesome. That's a great, great place to end. Christine, thanks again for coming on. This is a great,
0: thank you so much for having me. It was fun. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. it. And yeah. hopefully the technical glitch will be worked, worked through.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I'll edit this. And I know sure was... you will,
0: you know, you know what you're doing. Yeah. I tried that once. So I, um, I had interviewed a podcast. It was, it was supposed to be for a written interview. Do you know, Michael Gervais? Oh yeah. So I can send it to, you if you want, I had a chance to interview him.
1: Oh, I wow, reached out,
0: amazing. I said, you don't know me, but here's what I want to do. And he replied, he said, yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> I did it via Zoom meeting and it was more to capture it. And then I was, wasn't, because I don't have podcasting stuff down. And I was like, I'm going to just transcribe it. But then it was so good. I wanted to show the whole thing. But then I was just like the editing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I,
1: yeah,
0: it, I admire your skills there because- I got just showed a small clip of it in the interview, but I did send Courtney the full interview because she wanted to see it. Um, but yeah, I was like, one of these days, maybe I'll I'll call you and say, hey, show me how to do that. <laughs> I'm not ready to take that on right now, but. <laughs>
1: yeah. And um, so where can people go to find you online and learn more about your consulting services?
0: Consulting dot com, or LinkedIn for sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website, chaserosa.com and follow me on Instagram at chaserosa4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks everyone who's listening and see you next time.